bid you a very, very good Labor Day weekend. Pray that it started yesterday out with a bang. There were a couple local teams that I think won yesterday in college football. Both will remain unnamed for the sake of persecution. God bless you for being here this morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16. That's where I'm going to launch into the passage that I want to anchor and land. This morning is really at the end of Matthew 16, starting in verse 24. So I'll give you just a few seconds to turn in your Bibles. Lord willing, you brought one. If not, you can maybe use one on your phone electronically. Matthew 16. Verse 24, by way of context, though, so much of our understanding of what Jesus says in verses 24 through 28 depends on what he says in verses 21 through 23, which essentially is two things. Number one, I am going to Jerusalem, right? He tells now the 12, his disciples, I'm going now to Jerusalem, and it is there I will suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And then he drops the bombshell, and I will be what? I will be killed. And I will raise again on the third day. And then secondly, this is really key for the passage, he rebukes Peter, and he says these words. And this is really the segue into what he is about to say in verses 24 through 28. You are not setting your mind on the things of God... But you're setting your mind on the things of what? Of man. So that is absolutely key this morning. Because it was a shock when Christ turned to his disciples and tells them that he must be killed. Which is why he says to Peter, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You need that kind of jostling. That spurring. When you come to a passage like this, Christ was calling his listeners to something that is simply counterintuitive to all of us. And we all work, right? We work very hard to preserve our physical lives, our own personal definition of life. We work to avoid danger, injury, suffering, difficulty, trials, and loss. We work very hard not to... Have any of that happen? And yet here the creator of life is actually calling us to think positively about all of it. So let's pray. (laughs) Let's do that. Before we just continue, Father, help us. We need your help to think about this passage that is so counterintuitive. We need your help. Holy Spirit, come and just land upon us as your people. That we would see joy in this passage. That these would be winsome words. Help us to see Christ. Because that is who we want to be chained to. Fetter us to Christ and the cross. And all God's people said. So let me ask you a question this morning. We're going to just begin with this question. If. The Christian worldview is true. That there is more to this life than the material world, all right? Everything horizontally. 
that there is a God and that there is a world to come, would your life and the way that you are living now make sense? In, in other words, does your life reflect what we just read in verses 24 through 28 to be self-evident and true? This passage is one of the most practical truths that you will ever consider. It has everything to do with how you are presently investing your life, where you are placing your hope, and whether you believe there is this transcendent life that you were created to enjoy beyond this life. So this is the bottom line. This is really what God is teaching us this morning. God is teaching us and he is calling us to die. Christ is actually rescuing us from death and he's giving us real life. And what he's ultimately doing is he is shattering our little kingdoms and he is calling us to this joyful and grand kingdom that he is building called God's kingdom. So I am going to be just as practical and just as simplistic. So three questions that we're going to help answer for us just to see what God is doing in this passage. Who, what, and why? Who, what, and why? Who is Jesus addressing? It's very important. As you'll see, what is he saying? What is he actually calling us to? And why in the world would anyone want to do this because it seems so counterintuitive. Number one, who? Who is being addressed here? Well, clearly verse 24, you can see it there. He gives us the answer. It's crystal clear. Then Jesus told his what? Disciples. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He addresses a much wider audience and notice he begins to say, if anyone would come after me, right? I would circle and highlight if anyone, because that's you, <laughs> and, that, and that's me. And why that's important is because you could just kind of gloss over that, and you could say, this is great. It's just the 12 that he's talking to. Woo! Thank goodness. <laughs> right? I mean, this doesn't have to do with me. He's certainly talking about the 12. Not so. You can't come to Matthew 16 and just gloss over and say, that's not for me. Because he is speaking a general truth that applies to all people everywhere through time. And that includes you and that includes me. And it is crystal clear that the invitation to follow Jesus, it is wide and it is broad. And he is saying, I have something to say to you this morning. This is what I am calling you to this morning. If you want to be my disciple, here's what you got to do, which leads us to number two, what? What is Jesus actually calling us to? Notice verse 24, if anyone would come after me, three things now, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But first, a word of warning. Don't do anything to dilute those words. Don't do anything to trivialize or minimize 
those words in verse 24. Jesus means exactly what he says. So, he says, do you want to follow me? Do you want to be my disciple? You got to do three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, you got to follow me. Let's look at each of these a little more closely. And this is where it gets hard, right? Number one, deny yourself. We are wired to do exactly the opposite, period, right? We live in a what kind of culture? A selfie culture, right? It's all about selfies and me, and this is what I'm doing. And I, I, it's about my wants. It's about my rights. It's about my gratifications, right? We can just begin to just stuff everything into that. And Jesus here is saying part of being my disciple is about giving up self-love and self-gratification. The opposite is being completely satisfied living our own lives for the sake of our own selves. So what he's saying is denying yourself essentially is death to the priority of you. That's what he's saying. Jesus first calls us to be willing to say no to the hardest person It is to say no to, which is who? Me. (laughs) No, thank you, Jesus, because I want to do what I want to do. He says, to be my disciple, you first must let go of the hold of your own life. Deny yourself. Secondly, take up your cross. Again, I think it's important here not to get sentimental when we think of the cross. Right? The cross is not just gold or silver jewelry that we wear around our necks. The cross is not just some tidy little thing in a church logo. The cross equals one thing. What is it? Death. <laughs> and for Jesus, a bloody and gruesome one. It was a death instrument. Because if I just kind of got up here this morning and said, take up your electric chair, you would all look at me like, you are crazy. That's insane. What are you talking about? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's exactly what he's telling his disciples. Take up a death instrument. Take up your cross. Take up your cross essentially means death to pursuit of my life. It is saying, Jesus, I would rather be joined to you if it even costs me my life, I want you. Follow me. We can kind of come to follow me and just like, whew, we got through the hard part. But Jesus doesn't let up, right? He is absolutely relentless. Follow me is basically him saying, listen, now you are under my authority. I'm in the driver's seat. If you follow me, you are, I am your Lord. You are following me. So you are radically orienting your life to say that you are now following Jesus above all. You want to know who I follow? I follow Christ. Sometimes it may not look that way, but listen, ultimately, that's what I want. That's what I'm after. And we see these three things, and we may say, why Right? We can kind of come through this now and we can really say, why would anyone logically 
do this? <laughs> Why would anyone do this? These are not winsome words. They are super counterintuitive to the ways of our life. So why would anyone do this? Number three, I'm glad you asked why. Jesus gives us three reasons for your greatest joy, right? Because the ultimate, the ultimate meaning of life and the ultimate meaning of all of us in this room is we want to be happy. You all want to be happy, and I want to be happy. And the ultimate meaning of life is joy, your greatest joy. And so he says, notice three fours, F-O-R, in this passage, because they apply and they supply reasons why you want to do, verse 24. Four, whoever would save his life, right? Whoever would save his life will what? You have to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if you do verse 24, you will have life. And we all want life, do we not? And so he goes on to say four, and he brings this to bear, right? By saying, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his life? And so we may ask this morning, what does it mean to gain the whole world? So I thought, I'm going to take a crack at this, all right? Here we go. For me, it would be the greatest second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> right? I, I am the greatest second baseman for the Chicago Cubs, far above Ryan Sandberg, even though I love Rhino. Shockingly retiring after a decade of playing baseball and becoming a PGA Tour player who is better than Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, and Arnold Palmer, winning not the Grand Slam just once, but three times in three consecutive years, happily married in bliss, Right, with four beautiful, intelligent children. One, by the way, going on to play second base for the Chicago Cubs. Wearing the retired number of his father's jersey. I'm not, I'm not even close to being done. I'm having sprawling estates, one in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I, I, can, I can picture it, right? Log, huge timber, log cabin, an amazing grand fireplace, grand entrance, this great room, huge windows that looks to the Rocky Mountains that I so love. The second estate would be in my home state of Illinois that would tend to all my hunting and fishing needs and desires. And then one just beyond the 13th green of Augusta National Golf Club <laughs> that they have built for me to honor my legacy as the greatest golfer of all time. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right? Now, you may laugh, but, like, what's yours? Right? What is yours? And what if you could actually attain something like that? Because no matter how much you try and stuff things and possessions and financial wealth into that dot, 
Jesus is saying it still has a sharp and unrelenting edge to it. Meaning you will not be able to attain the world because why? Because in the end, then what? <laughs> right? If I had all of that and I come to the end of life and I don't have Christ, then what? Jesus is saying, you, you've attained the world. Congratulations. But you've lost your life. You have no life. What good will it do if you gain the whole world but do not have life? Here is the third four and where we're going to end. For the Son of Man is coming. I want you to begin to just wrap your mind around this. For the Son of Man is coming. Jesus is going to come from the east with his angels in the glory of the Father. I, like many of you, probably were absolutely fixated on the total solar eclipse, right? That just took South Carolina by storm. Now, as I was watching this, path, this thing pass along our country, um, I was not only mesmerized by its beauty, but I was mesmerized by how emotional people got. It was amazing. I mean, you, you saw people like it was a spiritual experience. And meteorologists, I mean, grown men were, they couldn't even talk. They were so emotional. And I, I thought to myself, how many people may be failing to see the real gift behind this once-in-a-lifetime event? Now Chuck Swindoll um, tells this great story. It's a great illustration. It's, I get emotional every time I think about it. It tells this true story of a man he visited in this dismal veterans hospital. And he says this, quote, one day I arrived to visit, I saw this touching scene. This man had a young son and during his confinement in the hospital, he had made a little wooden truck for his boy. And since the boy was not allowed to go into the ward and visit his father, an orderly had brought the gift down to the child, who was waiting in front of the hospital with his mother. And the father was looking out a fifth floor window, watching his son unwrap this gift. And the little boy opened the package and his eyes got wide when he saw that wonderful little truck. And he hugged it to his chest. And meanwhile, the father was walking back and forth, waving his arms behind the window pane, trying to get his son's attention. And the little boy put the truck down. He reached up. He hugged the orderly. He thanked him for the truck. And all the while, frustrated, the father was going through these dramatic gestures, trying to say, it's me, son. I made the truck for you. I gave that to you. Look up here. Chuck said I could almost read his lips. And finally, the mother and the orderly turned the boy's attention up to that fifth floor window. And it was then the boy cried. 
Daddy. Oh, thank you. I miss you, Daddy. Come home, Daddy. Thank you for my truck. And Chuck said the father stood in that window with tears streaming down his cheeks. And I thought in those moments, right, with this total solar eclipse, my heart and my mind took me to one day, Jesus again coming. And how oftentimes through all of the the stuff of life, we fail to see the real gift giver, which is our Father in heaven. We fail so many times to look up and know that the gift of the Father to us as his people were and was and will be Christ. And so we deny ourselves, we take up our crosses, we follow him, because one day Christ will make something seem so counterintuitive make sense. We see words in Scripture, inheritance, imperishable, glory, eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. Those words may not seem to hold much weight now, but brothers and sisters, one day they will. Jim Elliott was so right when he said this, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. He says, quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot, can you hand it? Lose. And so we say, Father, come. Lord Jesus, come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.